following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. We have first-hand opportunity to get before the Word of God with the author of life and his Word to inscribe those things to us. And Nathaniel was doing that. That's what it means to, and this will, this will light up when, it, when, when you understand that what Nathaniel was doing was he was sitting under the fig tree. He was meditating, as it says in Deuteronomy, he was meditating on God's word. Listen to the passage. Listen to what it says. Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida. The city, Andrew and P- the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to, uh, towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, Nathanael, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I have said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus was referring to himself. So guys, I'm super excited. I I never get that way, don't I? But I just get super excited about like, and I hope your posture is excitement and joy. I hope that you're sitting before a meal here that you you couldn't be any more excited about what it is because this is God's word. Right? Man not, does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's a treasure. It's a gift God wants to impart. And it's not just, we don't just come and get understanding. We don't just get, get information. There's potential for transformation here when we understand like who it is is being given to us. It's not, just, it's not just a what. It's not just information. He's giving himself to us. He's showing us the Father. He's showing us his heart. He's showing us his mind, his mindset. And he wants us to share his heart and share his mindset. So he's imputing that to us by faith. And so I hope that you sit here ready to just dig into the wonder of God's word. But not just with, man, I just need to know more about this. With a heart that says, then Father, give me the wisdom on how to put this into practice. Because that's how we build our house upon the rock. All right, John, John chapter 1, 43 to 44 says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Um, as you know, I got captured by that uh, last time. We were in this a couple weeks ago. Um, so we talked about how did Jesus make decisions? It was pre- he prayed and obeyed, right? He prayed and obeyed. He was in constant communion with the Father. He was constantly aware of not only what, but where and when, right? And that's, that's the thing that we get, we get stuck in. We get stuck in, yeah, we want God's will, but I don't know if, I, if it confl- conflicts with my will. Uh, I don't know if it conflicts with my timing. And our timetables are so rapid, are so instant gratification oriented. And God, God wants to show us the what, the where, and then he also wants to show us the when. 
And Jesus modeled that to perfection. And he says, you know, Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about to do the will of our heavenly father. We talked about keeping in step with his spirit, um, got captured on that piece I did. And uh, I sound like Yoda there, got captured on that piece I did. Okay, so um, um, moving on, it says here, that was silly. Um, he found Philip and said to him, follow me now. There is great potential here for me to do the same thing right here but I'm going to do my best. So listen to this, guys. This is awesome. Look, right away it says he found Philip. Who's the he? Right? Like we don't find him. He finds us. We might discover him, but trust me, he's the hound of heaven. He's the one that's pursuing us. He's the one that first loved us. He's the one that first chose us. He, he is, man, it's an awesome thing. It's a picture of the bridegroom going after his new fiance. Like, that's what it is. It's an invitation into his leadership, his lordship. It's an inv- invitation into his love. It's an invitation into his name, into his inheritance, and into his father, the family. Like this is, this is what Jesus wants us to be found to. This is, this is what he's searching for us to give us. He's not just wanting a friendship. He wants to make you his bride. He wants to put that, that token, not on your finger, but in your hearts. He wants to put his spirit inside of you so that now he can do an inside out work. He can begin to form his kingdom as he plants it in us and transform our lives, our thinking, our hearts, and start to move us in a direction at the pace and the timing and the place that he desires for us to go. And man, when we get in step with the author of life, when we get in step with the one that is orchestrating everything to perfection, think about it. Is it not going to be smoother to do the things that the, the, that the God of the universe is sovereignly doing in his perfect providential way? Is it not better to get on board with that than try to swim upstream and do it in your own strength and do it in your own way? You ever feel like you're wrestling with God rather than just submitting to his will? You ever feel like you're trying to fight for your way rather than submit to his way? Man, this is the joy of living is being that obedient child that just says, yes, daddy, I want what you want because I don't even have to understand it to like it because I trust your heart and plan. And that's the joy. That's the freedom that comes from uh, just embracing him as our father. And it says, Jesus found Philip. We don't find him. He found, he finds us and said to him, follow me. Now, Look, um, you know, in the video we watched on this, you know, Jesus is standing there looking at him as if, and you see the smile come over Jesus' face, and he's like, I love that guy. He doesn't even know me, and I just, I love that guy. I believe that. I believe God knows us so intimately before we have any inclination of him, and he is just like, man, if you ever saw the shack, I'm not advocating the theology of that, but I'm just saying, if you ever seen the shack, and you see the, the you know the God figure in the, in the in the woman, um, she goes, I, I'm I'm in, what is it incredibly fond of him, I'm especially fond of him. Like, do you know how much God loves you, and it doesn't have anything to do with what you've done or haven't done. Do you know that it's not conditional based on your behaviors or or what what it has nothing to do with that. It's not conditional. He just loves you. He loves you, and he's, he's, he's seeking to find you, to rescue you. Jesus said, that's why I've come, to set the captives free. Like he's come to, but not just rescue us to, to be servants and slaves. He's liberated us to be his bride, to be the father's child, 
right? To, to walk in the, the newness of life, to, to be fellow heirs and co-laborers, to share the mission, to share the inheritance, to share it all. Man, I love that. And he says to him, follow me. You know the picture I get here? I get a picture because, look, did Jesus humble himself in order to invite us into his lordship? Did he? Did Philippians 2 tell us that? Because a lot of people will struggle with this. But, but, but it says that, that Jesus was the actual pinnacle model of what it means. I mean, God took on skin, entered into our darkness as light himself, and he literally came and died in our place. He took on the pains and the sorrows. He made himself nothing, it says. Took on the very form of servant and, and died in our place of all deaths, a, a crucified death. But I think when Jesus was saying, follow me, I, you know, it, it's not just, you know, we think of it in today's terms as like, hey, um, come on, right? Let's just come and hang out. That's not what he was saying. It's so much more beautiful and intimate than that. This is what I think he did. He, um, he humbled himself. He said, he said, would you be my bride? You ever thought about this? Jesus invited us into his name. He invited us into intimate relationship. He humbled himself. He condescended the throne. And, and then he says, because sometimes we think of come follow me as, as, you know, it's more missional than it is relational. And it's not. Jesus is inviting us to be his bride. He's inviting us to be the beloved. He's inviting us into his heart and mission. He's making He's making us one, as we see in Genesis 2, 24. Have you ever thought about it that way? It's so beautiful what Jesus is. He's inviting us into his, into his heart, into his leadership, his lordship. And he says, come follow me. So let's, let's unpack this from two perspectives. One, what were the disciples thinking? What's Philip thinking when, when Jesus says, come follow me? Okay, because it's in our in our context, it seems like this this brief encounter, this brief, you know, was there more stated? Because if someone just walked up to me, no matter who they are, and they said, come follow me, I'll be like, I I don't I don't think so. You know, like, where are you going? No, I got stuff going. You know, like, I mean, that's that's kind of a weird thing. But in Jewish culture, if a rabbi comes up to you and invites you into his discipleship, this is the pinnacle opportunity of any Hebrew man. Right? And you gotta keep in mind, these guys, Philip and Andrew and Peter and James and John and these guys, Nathaniel, they had already, that, that had already passed them. They were too old for the opportunity to be disciples of a rabbi. And then here comes this rabbi. But keep in mind, this is early in the game. I mean, he doesn't have this glorious reputation. Next week, we're looking at the wedding of Cana. I mean, he's not even, in Jesus' words here, he hasn't even started yet. Right? And so, so he doesn't have a reputation other than what, uh, what, what uh, Philip says about him. You know, he's from Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. That's not even true. Yeah, he's from Nazareth, but he's not Joseph's son. He's God's son. So here's the thing, guys, is that what they're thinking is, wow, I get another shot at being a, a, an instrument of influence and, and fame and fortune in, in the Jewish connotation. I can... Because if you're going to be, you're invited to be a disciple of a rabbi, you're eventually going to be a rabbi. You're going to do what, like, that's what you're, that's what a disciple is, a learner, a student. You're going to become whatever that, and, and if you're invited by them, this is a huge, huge honor. 
I mean, when James and John later on, we're going to see this. When James and John leave the boat, and because Jesus says, come follow me, and Zebedee's sitting there. He's not going, where are you going, boys? He is like, yes, my boys. That, this, is, this is a great opportunity. But please hear this. What did they think? Where did they think this was going? Early in the game here, right? We know late in the game, they thought this meant sitting in the right and left hand of Jesus. They thought that this was going to lead to prestige, power, and authority. Right? They thought that this was, this was going to make their life, their earthly life fantastic. Right? This is going to, this is going to fix all my problems. Is that what happened? So my question is, like, when we started this walk with Jesus, did we not have similar connotations? Did we have, did not have similar expectations that, or maybe it was even presented that way? But, you know, did Jesus, here's a question. Did Jesus know that they thought this? Sure he did. But you know what he, he did methodically and, and in, intentionally and consistently? He, he unpacked himself to them. And slowly but surely, they started to get that this is not what I thunk it, thought it was. Thunk it was. Right? This is not like this. And Jesus kept saying, this is a road marked with suffering. They hated you. They'll hate me too. That I'm, I'm going to die. You're going to what? No, no, no. That's not how I've got this laid out, Jesus Remember, Peter stands in front of him. Look, they'll kill you in Jerusalem. So my plan is, is that we keep you safe. Because if you mess this up, you mess it up for me too. Right? I mean, they, they, you've got to believe that that was just their connotation. But let me ask you this. And, and how is that at times? I mean, I see it in the Christian, when folks come to Christ, they're, they're thinking, no, my life's going to be all, all better. But here's what happens in that moment. Is, you know, when, when we're outside of the kingdom, when we're, when we're at odds with God, right? We're, we're experiencing God's wrath is being revealed, right? Like we're in that. We've got someone that loves us and is trying to rescue us. But the moment we're born again and we shift sides, our enemy is not loving us. Our enemy wants demise in our lives. Steal, kill, destroy, roaring lion. I mean, things shift. And we're on, we're instantly in enemy territory and we're infused with God's power. So greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. But we have to understand things shift, things get rough, things get tough. Jesus said this way, you know, those that are, that are on the path that leads to destruction, you know, many will be on that path. It's wide. But the narrow path that is hard, that leads to eternal life, few will enter through that. Guys, you know, do we have accurate expectations? Do we understand when Jesus says, come follow me, where is he going? Emphatically, to a cross. But on the other side of that cross, there's an empty tomb and there's resurrection. And, and God's going to exalt him that he's, the, the, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess at the name of Jesus. See, it's not in this life. This life is not where we receive our eternal rewards. Jesus, and this is what he was training his disciples to. This is what he was saying to Philip, come follow me in. Does that make sense, guys? And, and, and what he's doing along the way is he keeps pulling back as the, as the bridegroom would. He keeps pulling back the veil and slowly showing himself to us. And we're blown away. And when we see him for who he is, we're transformed. We're just transformed by seeing him just like in Luke 5 with Peter, transformed in his likeness. So let's understand, this was an absolute honor for them, but they were thinking all of the earthly, uh, they're thinking this is going to work out great for me and my kingdom. And Jesus is standing there calling Philip and saying, this is going to work out great for me and my kingdom. Because he had a whole different perspective. 
Guys, do you understand that that, that's the case almost every time we face something in our life? What you intended for, what what they intended for evil, God intends for good. God wants to work all things together for good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. See, God's got a glorious perspective on things. And our, what we need to do is share his perspective instead of holding on to ours. Does that make sense? And that's how we, we, we come to an accurate uh, portrait of what it is that he's doing in us and through us. So we're actually going to get beyond that. Here we go. So um, moving on, it says, he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida. I, I mentioned before that this is the, this word means uh, this name means house of fish. This uh, Bethsaida was located at the very top of the Sea of Galilee, and this was where the main tributary came into the Sea of Galilee. So this was this was a grand place to fish. Obviously, through generations they knew that, and so the first six disciples all come from Bethsaida. They don't originate from there because we know we find out Nathaniel is from Cana, which is where they go right after this. So um, that's kind of interesting, but it's called house of fishing. Now, here's where I want to tie in the spiritual connotation. Who's better to go fish for men than fishermen? Isn't that interesting that God went and called a bunch of fishermen to go catch men? You know, like, and and helps them to understand the connotation uh, that's involved in in doing this work. I'm going to change you from fishing for fish to fishing for men. And then it says the city that Andrew and Peter came from, which I mentioned. Um, this whole thing on come follow me, right? Like when Jesus, when Jesus said, follow me, what did, what, what did his paradigm have in place in that? Like what did, he, what did he mean when it came to come follow me? Now I said that this is even before his ministry began. He's calling these guys, right? Well, interesting enough, later on, he describes to them what following him looks like. Right? Luke chapter chapter nine, verses twenty-three, twenty to twenty-five. Listen to what this says. He said to them all, all in this case was the crowd, but specifically he's talking to his disciples, and it says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Now it's interesting to me that it goes on to say, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. For whoever save whoever loses his life for my sake. Uh, and the gospel in another translation says, uh, will save it for what does it, what does it, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his soul or himself? So interestingly enough, Jesus puts as a prerequisite to following him, denying yourself and taking up your cross, denying yourself and taking up your cross. Um, would you turn with me to Colossians three? Uh, this is not on the screen. Um, so I, I would ask that you grab your Bibles uh, so the way this is work is in is in the New Testament. It's uh, it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So in, starting from the beginning of the, of the New Testament, it's it's you guys can go with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians. Then it's Galatians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And the way I remember that is girls eat popcorn. I, I mean, whatever you want to do, you know, GE Power Company. Whatever you want to do, just to help you kind of remember that. I do that in my head. So um, this is chapter three of that particular book and um, or letter. And so what, what's going on here is Jesus initially says, "Come follow me." He understands that they have these connotations and these worldly expectations, but he's got a far greater plan. Amen. 
Isn't that good news? He's got a far greater plan, but, but it, it, it includes persecution. It includes suffering. These things are a part of, and it's good for us. Uh, it really is. It has, it, it, he gives purpose to our struggle. Um, and so he says here two things. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must what first? Deny himself. So I don't have time to, di- to dive into this. So it, basically what that means is, is saying no to you, saying no to your flesh, saying no to the things that are selfish in its, in, in its intention, saying no to me, denying the, the things that, are, uh, that I want so that I can, I can embrace the things that God wants. He says this is, this is a prerequisite to follow me, right? Deny yourself. And then it says, take up your cross daily. What does that mean? What does that mean to take up your cross daily? Like it means to daily die to the, to the desires of the flesh, to these feelings that beckon us to, to, to hurt others and to be unforgiving and all these things. It means daily. I mean, it requires a daily deal. You know, when someone picked up their cross, they would refer to them as the walking dead. It's a, it's a foredone conclusion that they're dead. And really, that's the way we should see our lives. And as I read these passages, listen for that. We should consider ourselves dead because now we're alive in Christ. Our life is now hidden in Christ with God. We have, we have life. We have life himself. We don't need, that's what it means that, that we would not, not try to save our life because if we try to do that, we'll lose it. But if we lose our life for sake and the gospel, we will save it. But listen, guys, put your, listen, please listen to what God's word says here about what to put off and what to put on. Listen to what this says. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. What is it? Verse three, listen. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's where your life is. Verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, uh, when he returns, then you will also appear with him in glory. And then listen, practical here. Put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Uh, that's not godly passion. Uh, evil desire which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off. That's that's saying it's already transpired or putting off. It's an ongoing thing, both. To one another, it says, do not lie to one another, um, seeing that you have put off the old self. Some of your translation says old man with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after renewed by what? God's word, God's spirit after the image of its creator. Verse 11. Here there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now listen, this is, this is the other side of the coin. Listen to verse 12. Put on. So what did he say before in verse 5? Put off or put to death, right? Doesn't that sound like, crucif- like daily, you know, like be crucified daily? You know, put to death. 
Now this, it says, put on. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Do you love that? You are God's chosen ones. That makes you, because of Christ's righteousness, holy and beloved. Don't miss that. Put, this is what you're to put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Here's the, here's the standard. Here's the criteria. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also what? What does it say? Must. Must. Right? So, they, so you must forgive. Verse 14. And above all these, always, this is always where love has its place. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. Put it on. Be clothed in it. Right? And that's, I mean, this is the work that the Spirit does. The, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, like these things, these nine characteristics of, uh, of the Spirit's presence. But we must submit to the Spirit. In other words, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. Let, right? Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, unity, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual song with thanksgiving or thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then verse 17, and whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. In other words, under his authority, under his will, under his desire and, and plan and pattern. So whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Doesn't that help us to understand what he means by deny yourself? Die to these things, right? Deny me, deny my aspirations, desires. God, you know, God will plant his desires in us. You know, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. And trust me, you want his desires. They're so much better. And then I want to read one more passage for you, uh, Romans uh, so go back uh, towards the, the the front of the Bible there. Uh, if you go with me to chapter 6 of Romans, which is just after Acts, um, I want to read a similar passage that unpacks this denying yourself and taking up your cross. This is what this is what's this is what following him. This is the prerequisite. This is this is what's required to follow him. And we've got to first die to me, and then I got to continually die because my flesh continues to to wrestle for 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 precedence in our lives. So um, this is Romans six. Listen for similar statements here. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Listen to what it says here. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, we were buried. Speaking of the church, the bride, we were, and you buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory uh, of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. But listen, it goes on. For we have been united with him in a death like this. If, for if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self or man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Verse 7. For one who has, what does it say here, guys? 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, is he talking about we need to go out and physically take, take our life? No. He's talking about what Romans 12 later on talks about in verse 1. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your lives as a living sacrifice. We die to ourselves so that we can live for the glory of God, so that we can give our lives for his glory and his kingdom. So verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. And where are we? We are in Christ. Uh, death no longer has dominion over him. For the dead, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, all time, all, all people. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you also, listen to this, this is it. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, selfishness, and alive to God in in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, this goes back to Colossians 3. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let it reign. Don't let it control. Don't let it have lordship. To make, and how do we do that? Verse chapter eight is going to help us say that we need to submit our lives, our hearts, our decisions to the spirit. Submit to the spirit. We can't do it, but he can. So verse 13, do not present the members, your hands, your feet, your tongue. This is the most restless evil, right? Do not present the members, your mind, your hearts. Do not present the members, uh, uh, your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves all of you to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, all of them, feet, hands, hearts, mouths, to God as instruments for righteousness. Verse 14, for sin has, will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Guys, is that, is that instructive? Is that practical? Is that liberating? Like, is that challenging? Is that instructive? I mean, does that not guide us in in what Jesus was talking about when he said, come follow me? Because what does it require to follow Jesus? I can't take me along for the ride. Me has got to die. Me has got to go, right? That's that's what we bury in baptism. When we go under the water, the, the word baptism means immersion. When I go under the water, it's a picture of me dying to me. You know, it's a symbol of that reality. And then I'm coming out. Now I am set forth in in the mission of God, and my life is now hidden in Christ with God. And when he comes back and appears, and then I will appear with him in the clouds. Like this is this is all laid out for us in that. And and so, but then he uses the word like don't let this reign and let the the peace of the the, the 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 peace of Christ reign in your rule in your hearts. Guys, we have a role in this. We submit just as the bride does to the, to the bridegroom, as described in Colossians and in Ephesians, that we, to our bridegroom now, to our pledged one, that we're going to have a wedding and banquet feast uh, with when he comes back. Man, what we do at this, in this moment is we're called to submit. We're called to yield to his will, his spirits in us, in order to provoke us to love and good deeds. And so that's, that's what we do. We honor him through joyful obedience. We honor him uh, by expressing our love through that radical obedience. Isn't it interesting that we're told in Hebrews that Jesus learned something? Listen, he'd never, he'd never been the flesh before. He had never been the son of man before. He was always the son of God. He was the son of man. He, he was Emmanuel, God with us. And it says that he learned what? Obedience through what? Suffering. 
Jesus learned in the flesh, learned. Oh, and you know what? He was modeling that for us. And so, man, we gotta, we gotta let go and die and deny. And, and I, I promise you that Philip had no earthly, well, a lot of earthly ideas, but he had no idea what, what Jesus was really, but what was Jesus gonna do? He was gonna slowly Slow, not like the Mount of Transfiguration that made Peter crazy. Like he wasn't just going to go, whoa, here I am. You know, like he just slowly gives himself to us and unpacks his heart, unpacks his will, unpacks his presence, his power, his word to us so that we, you know, in his awesome. And so guys, let me say this. <clears throat> so let me say this is that here's the thing. Like we got to, you know, who are we to judge another man's servant? Right? Like, and what I mean by that is this, man, there's no room for us to be critical of each other. I mean, we don't know what God's doing with, with, with this one or this one, you know, and, and man, it, it, you know, there's, there's tough stuff that God's working out of our paradigm, depending on when we've come to him. You know, it's, it's hard stuff. These, these painful moments, these, these, these horrific things that the enemy has has done in our in our in our parents our grand in our paradigms in our even in our past and 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 God in his in his in Christ in his gentleness the holy spirit just methodically is healing us by his word and by and you know what one of the most powerful instruments that God uses to heal us each other these temples that are indwelled with his spirit that have hands and feet and hearts and mouths so guys, don't ever use your mouth. Listen to this. I mean, I'm, let's let's talk about what we should use our mouth for. GE Power Company. Girls eat popcorn. Here we go. All right. So um, Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-nine, and I'm going to read through thirty-two. Listen to what this says. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. It's another let. Let the peace of Christ reign. You know. You know, it's another let. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as is as as fits the occasion, as is appropriate, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He's talking about our speech by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And then verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave. There's the standard. There's the, there's the bar. Guys, God uses us to sanctify one another. In this passage, what we see, I'm just going to unpack these things quickly. In this passage, what happens is Philip, after he is found, what, is, what, did, what did Andrew do once he was found? He ran off to get Peter, right? I mean, I'm going to go tell my close friends, my brother, that I haven't just found the rabbi, the master is what he referred to him. I found the Messiah, the Christ. That's, I mean, after just spending from 4 o'clock p.m. Till the, till the next morning, he's come to a radical different perspective of who Jesus is. Why? Because he spent time with him. Guys, please hear me. You, you really want to see Jesus for who he is? You want to be transformed because we don't change us. We don't. We don't change us. We're changed as, as God reveals himself to us through his word by his spirit. And when he shows us who he is, we are changed. It's this glorious thing that takes place. We are changed. 
And so what, what we have to do is spend time with him. So, you know, Andrew spends time with Jesus. Now he's, he's confident that he's the Christ, the Messiah, still thinking military, decide, you know, he's got that connotation. Uh, Jesus has got bigger plans for the whole world and the world to come. And so then what happens is Andrew runs off to tell his brother. Peter comes and Jesus says, you are not Simon. You, and here's the beauty of this, guys. And, and, and this is another practical piece that I really want to share this morning is that Jesus looks at us and we see this again. Please, please catch this. We see this again when, so remember later on, Philip, you know, is invited. Jesus found Philip. What does Philip do? He runs off to Nathaniel, right? He runs off to his intimate friends and starts telling them, we found Jesus. But Philip says it differently. He said, we found the ones that the prophets and the law talk about. He is Jesus from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Guys, it's what we do when we're captured by who he is. We, we, Jesus was the first one, right? Remember before any disciples, he has any disciples, Andrew and John leave John the Baptist as his disciples. And they, and they come to Jesus and they said, uh, where are you staying? Right? Like, in other words, we want to come hang out with you. We want to be with you. Where you are, we want to be. Right? And then what did Jesus say to him? Come and see. Right? Come and see. And that's exactly what Philip says in this passage, right? He says to him, after telling him who he thinks he is, and he says to him, verse 46, Nathaniel said to him, can any good thing come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. He's already talking like Jesus. Don't you love that? Like that's the, that it's like he, we start talking like the Lord. That's what we want. We want to start talking in love and, and, and what we talked about in Ephesians 29. And then, so what I love is, is that the moment that we're found by Jesus, we, are, we, we become the in, in instruments of what we talk about in C4. We become come instruments, right? We become the ones that go to others and say, come and see, come and see. That's your role as the body of Christ to go out to your neighborhood and your workplaces and wherever you're at and tell them about Jesus. And when they're saying, what? You say, come and see. You invite them into community, into the body of Christ. You invite them to come and be a part of, uh, of what God is doing in order to reveal himself to us. And so he invites Nathaniel. And just like, uh, just like uh, uh, Andrew did with Peter. And then what happens to Peter, right? We'll start with Peter. He invites Peter. Peter comes up. Jesus looks at him and says, no, no, no. You were given an earthly name, but that's not who you are. You are, you are Peter. You are Cephas. Right? And, 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 and that's... That's what God wants to do. He wants to, sh- he wants to show us who we really were intended to be. Jesus has a different picture of us than, than we have of ourselves. Let me give you an example. When Jacob was born, he was holding on to the heel of his brother. What, what was his name? What does his name mean? Deceiver. The, his parents, the world gave him the name Deceiver right? But God comes along and Jacob wrestles with God with a heart and a desire to be blessed. And on the other side of that, God changes his name to, right? Listen, God, there's a name that God has for us. And what he's looking to, and that name is bigger than just some nomenclature that, that, that people call us. It defines us. It's who we are. When, when you're given that name on that white stone in heaven, when you're given that name, you're going to go, yeah, that's me. Right? Just like when Adam saw Eve and he said, oh, that's bone of my bone and flesh of my That's me. Right? That's who I, God knows us. And I love that this happens with Peter. And then listen to what happens with Philip. 
I mean, with Nathaniel, who, by the way, his name means gift of God, right? So Nathaniel says this pretty skeptical, stereotypical, prejudiced statement about Jesus. He said, he said, Nazareth, right? Can, can any good thing come from Nazareth, right? So two things happen here. One, I want you to jot down um, Matthew 2, 23, because that's where it says he will be called a Nazarene. And there's a quotation there that goes back to, it says the prophets declare that he would be a Nazarene. But, but here's the thing, guys, is in that moment, so Nathaniel had this picture that was given to him by this brand new disciple of Jesus that doesn't really even know Jesus yet. And, and, and what does Philip say that he is? He is the son of Joseph, right? A Nazarene. Is that who Jesus is? That's really not. See, Philip had yet to see him for who he is. So he was depicting him in a lesser uh, understanding than we have now. He was because he was it was a new relationship. You ever have a new relationship? You're telling somebody about it and you really don't represent them well because you really don't know them yet. And so Philip says that, you know, he's the son of Joseph. But who is he the son of? He's the son of God. Yes, he's from Nazareth, Nazareth but, but, but his connotation was, man, the Messiah is supposed to come from Bethlehem. You know, so that doesn't, you know, it didn't make sense. But here he comes after this prejudiced statement and he's walking up to Jesus and just like with, with Peter, and don't miss this, and he's walking up to, to, to Jesus and Jesus looks at him in this passage and he says this, here is a true Israelite in whom there is no guile or falsehood. Right. Do you know what you know what earlier what God put on my heart when I was praying, when I was over here singing and we sang about about being faultless before the throne of grace. Do you know that that's what Jesus was saying about this guy? Not because of his actions, because clearly we just saw a statement of prejudice. We saw a statement of doubt. We saw a, a, a statement of misunderstanding. But but Jesus saw him for who he was and is from God's perspective. Guys, don't miss this. Like, that's how Jesus sees. He sees us with the Father's eyes. He sees us with the name that we were authored and created to have and live. And, and, and when he sees us, Jesus spoke that over him, right? And he said, how, how do you know me? And then he says this. He says, I, I, before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. In other words, I saw you when you were meditating on the scriptures. For God looks to and fro to find one that has their heart fully given to him. And so basically what he was saying is, I saw you. Uh, I mean, he, he, his omniscience was being declared in that moment. And just like Hagar, when she was in the desert after she was forced out of Abraham's home, who said, the God who sees me, right? He knew in that moment that this is, that's why he would jump to this from, can any good thing come from Nazareth to what? You are, you are, the son of God, the king of it. That's a giant leap, right? That's a big change in one statement. And Jesus said, you'll see even greater things than this. The, the angels ascending and descending, pointing back to Jacob's ladder, where Jesus is standing at the top of the... I mean, he's using scripture to reach this guy. Why? Because this is a guy that is the same thing that Philip used to reach him. The prophets and the law. This is a guy that, that studies the scriptures, knows God's, has faith in it. And that's what Jesus was speaking over him. Do we see that? So here's the practical expression that I close with this. Listen to this, please. Uh, I'm going to read this verse so that we, that we kind of get here what I believe this is so important. So I've talked this morning about what we're, what to take off and to put on, to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. That there's, you know, that we have a, 
you know, that, that this, this, is, this is what God is doing in us. This is what, and you know, he never asks us to do these things like deny ourselves, take up our cross daily without giving us the power to do it. He never, he go, he go, he's in it with us. And so his spirit is there to help us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. But here, he, heaven sees us differently. And as those that have been bought from death to life and darkness to light, we should see differently. We should, we should have, we shouldn't have fleshly eyes over and over again. You know, eyes, we need to have eyes that share God's perspective and vision. Listen to what this says. This is 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17. And, and guys, we know 17, you know, the old is gone. Behold, all things are new. We talk about new creations and, and we, you know, we love to talk about verses that make us feel good. We love to talk about the, the verses that, um, you know, that, 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 that speak these prom and it's good. We should do those, but listen to the context here. It says this from Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. This is what, this is what Nathaniel did when he was, or Philip represented Jesus to Nathaniel when he said, oh, he's from Nazareth and he's the son of Joseph, right? We, 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 we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And, and I finish with this. Listen to this, guys. We, we need to share the sanctifying work of God's spirit in each other's lives. We need to have the eyes of Christ for each other. We need to see each other the way God sees us. So, Because here's the deal. Do you, I don't know if you realize this, but... How, you know, we, we develop portraits, portraits of people. And, and through our experiences, those portraits either get prettier or they don't. But here's the problem. We all make a ton of mistakes. We all say things and do things that we shouldn't do. And so what happens over time in marriages and in relationships is that portrait gets a little dark if we let the enemy paint that picture. And then here's the thing that's in our human nature. We treat people how we see them. And what God wants to do here is he wants us to see them the way that he sees them so that we can treat them as instruments of his the way he wants them treated. Does that make sense? But let me tell you something. This is, this is it. We're, we wrap up. This is it. Oh, it's only 11.08. This clock hasn't been changed. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But here, but here's the thing. So here's, here's the thing. And I finished with this, guys. Listen to this. I get so excited about this. But listen to this. You know who the first person we tend to, to have a portrait that gets really destroyed by the lies and the deceptions? It's our self-portrait. The enemy loves to destroy our self-portrait. And I don't believe that we should have any confidence in the flesh. I don't think we should have self-esteem, right? I think we should have God confidence, right? I mean, I don't have any confidence in me. I have lots of confidence in him, and that, so now I'm confident, right? I, I mean, that's, that's what God wants. But here's the thing. He also wants us through his eyes. This is why he spoke that to Peter. It's why he spoke it to Nathaniel. I want you to see you the way that I see you. And the reason that Jesus loved and cared and died is because that's how he saw you. Do you get that? Jesus loved you and loves you because he sees you with the Father's eyes. He treats you the way he treats you and has loved you the way he's loved you because he sees you through the Father's perspective. 
And that's exactly what this passage is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5. It's saying that I no longer see people in the flesh. I, I choose to see their, their, the, the, the godly destination, the fully sanctified Donna, Nick, Joe, Jimbo. I choose with the Lord's help and the Spirit's help and, and God's word's instruction, I choose to see you as a saint, the bride of Christ. I choose to see you that way and, and I'm going to treat you that way. And, and, and what it does is it calls that out of us. It does. You, you, you ever see a guy meet a girl for the first time and, and she doesn't really know this past or, you know, it, and, and they will make statements like this. You make me a better man. Why? Because love is blind. Right. And from that perspective, we need to be blinded to the faults of others. Does that make sense, guys? The reason we're treating people so poorly is because we're so transfixed on their failures. And Jesus says, check out the log in your eye before you start picking out specks. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your will and way. Thank you for the fact that you said, come and see, so that we could say, come and see. And that we would say, come and see, because we've seen. We've not just seen what we want to see any longer. We start to see what you see. And because we do, we, our hearts are changed. Our objectives are changed. The way we treat others are changed. The way that we see you, Lord Jesus, would you continually pull back the veil? And would you help us to let the peace of Christ reign? Would you help us to, 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 to put off and put on so that we might sincerely, genuinely look more like you every day? Help us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.